Geek Card presents Back Issue Bloodbath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. There are two types of law that I'm an expert in, bird law and superhero law. We'll be talking about the second one today on Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Petula Neal. We're here once again for another episode where we talk about comics, and this one is kind of topical because uh, there's a show on the old uh, Disney Plus happening right now where a certain superpowered being is an attorney at law and is handling superhero and superhuman cases. And that is She-Hulk, attorney at law. And when it comes to the varied history of She-Hulk, she's had a lot of different series. But one really stands out as the one where it is about her being a lawyer first and a superhero second, and that is the 2014 run of She-Hulk, written by Charles Soule, with art by uh, Javier Polito. And, well, you know, like, again, there's a number of other series out there that She-Hulk has had that have been more famous. Of course, the John Byrne run, the Dan Slott run. But this is the one where it specifically talks about her being a lawyer. In the sense that we wanted to, with still the same kind of comedy levels that was in the John Byrne and Dan Slott runs. Now, you have you read any of this series before, Petula? No, I had not. Yeah, this was a real delight. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was funny. I got to talk with Charles Soule shortly after the series finished and uh, tell him how much I love the series, and here's what he had to say. Before I ask any questions, I have to talk about a book that I feel was probably one of the best books that Marvel put out in the past five years that you were the writer for, and that is She-Hulk. Oh, thanks very much. That book right there, to me, encapsulated everything about She-Hulk and gave you know some different layers and levels that really hadn't been touched on okay. with the character before. Now, was that something you wanted to be traditional with you know the characterization of Jennifer, but still bring something new to the character and focus more on the law? I think that that's, um, that's sort of the job when you're working with one of these characters. I was a big fan of Dan Slott's run and John Byrne's run on the character, and I thought some of the, the, the winking at the audience a little bit was very appealing about both those runs. Um, and as I'm a lawyer myself, as is more widely known now, so I really wanted to bring in some of my legal expertise and legal background in, into the character because I think any book you can write with sort of a sheen of authenticity just feels different to readers. Um, plus, I just think she's awesome. Like, she's fun, and I wanted to write a fun book, and hopefully I did okay with it. You did you did more than okay with it, sir. It was great stuff. It was very reminiscent. Even though it was very modern, it was very reminiscent of, uh, say, a Silver Age Marvel book oh, yep. in that sense. Now, how do you feel about uh, Chip Zdarsky uh, taking some of the, uh, the ideas from that run and sprinkling them into his Howard the Duck? I think it's fantastic. I mean, you know, anytime you create something new for Marvel or any, any big shared universe, DC or whatever, one of the ways you know that it's... it's you know, hopefully decent is when other writers start or artists start using it and incorporating it into their stuff. So Howard the Duck's office is in the same building as She-Hulk. Jessica Drew Spider-Woman had her office there for a little while. So like the idea of this, you know, shared cheap office space where superheroes can have offices is is a pretty good one, I guess. So it's it's fun. I'm going to do more with it myself in the future. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. We brought it up there when we talked about that. He introduced the superhuman office space which i love the idea that it's like hey so many superhumans that have other jobs need offices but a lot of landlords don't want it because of the insurance so of course there'd eventually be somebody who would come along and be like hey this is just for powered people so you don't have to worry about that shit and as charles so mentioned in the conversation that particular office building ended up in chip Zdarsky's howard the duck 
and other things like that. So it was a cool introduction. Like that to me was like one of my favorite things about this is that it introduced a new cool locale in the Marvel U. I did have a moment when I saw a new tenant being shown. It's like, oh, this way, Howard. Yeah. I just like the way Howard pops up. I I truly wish that movie had been better. I, I feel like as MCU goes weirder and weirder, I feel like that's what we're building to. I feel like that will be the apex of Phase 6. Like the secret apex that he hasn't asked yet will be like a Howard the Duck movie. <laughs> like this time, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, like with Soul's background as a lawyer, it makes sense that he would think about the practicalities of how do you like set up an office as someone like this where we know uh, Jessica Jones will often have some sort of damage or shady visitors that's like one lady and while arguably probably when she gets into the brown liquor could do just as much damage as Jen on a bad day or after a bad <laughs> meeting with her old bosses that this is a, a needed service and also a great way to have these kinds of books where you have other characters that you get a peek at so you can see like what they're doing and what they're up to and or have them passing through one of the other tenants you know apartments or businesses totally and you brought up the fact that charles soul is a lawyer and so he knows about the law and that was his approach to this book was that he wanted to try to see how the law fits into this world and what exactly jen is doing the beginning of the story we have jen she's at a firm that she's been at for about a year she joined that firm and she's been filling the hours she's been doing a great job when she goes in for a performance review the uh the two main partners don't believe she brought enough because they didn't care about billable hours they weren't hiring a lawyer they were hiring a superhero celebrity who has she was a diversity hire yeah yeah if i didn't get why stephanie had her hang out with all the black ladies in living <laughs> heroes before i surely do now yeah exactly <laughs> and they basically were like how come you didn't bring in your superhero friends or millionaires to you know put in patents or you know do any of their legal matters through our firm that's why give we us some of that you. danny rand money yeah we yeah. want the danny rand money we want the tony stark money we want the reed richards money it's funny they didn't say hank pym and it's like yeah because he probably has no money hank pym is a terrible businessman but yeah. <laughs> the yeah. other ones it's like yeah and so she decides i'm leaving and they're like oh well whatever this was a big mistake on our part you know oh well and she gives them the, the nice parting of destroying their beautiful table that they spent so much money on with a tap, which I loved. To yes. show that, Re reclaimed teak from Madripoor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that right there, like in the first few pages, shows that Jennifer has complete control of her abilities. The point that with she knows just the right amount of strength she needs to just tear a table in two without lifting so much as a full hand. She just needed a finger, which I thought was great. That kind of shows that she's got the brawn, but she chooses to use her brain more often. So she's looking for something to do. And well, she's a, looking for a drink. I, yeah, I also yeah. love that about her. That is like, again, lawyers drinking some tropes or tropes because they are based on real life. Uh, <laughs> The area where we both used to work downtown, where I spent a lot more time drinking than working. It's just in the before time, filthy with lawyers after work. Every bar is a lawyer bar or a banker bar. And her immediate response to any kind of struggle bus moment of going to get a beverage 
definitely girl i feel you yeah yeah no totally and while she's there at the bar she's confronted by uh, a woman named holly harrow who's down on her luck and she was the husband of a supervillain. it happens the supervillain died that also happens left her penniless but there's proof that some of tony stark's repulsor technology is based on this supervillain's tech and that he had actually filed something with Stark trying to make some money on the sale of this. And that all feels trying to make legitimate money. And then corporate jerks stole his idea, didn't give him any credit. And then he became a villain. One could argue it once again, all Tony's fault. Yeah. Yeah. And well, in this situation, she tries to go to Tony and talk, but because it's a legal matter, she's sent to legal, the one man lawyer, (laughs) It's just, he's only known as legal. And he takes her through the legal runaround. They end up in court with each other. Jen doesn't think she's going to be able to win this case because she doesn't have the the backing that the Stark Enterprises has. Nor the smoking gun. Nor the smoking gun, exactly. So she ends up saying, screw this, I'm going to go see Tony. And of course she has to go through a bunch of like hell to get there because legal has sicked the... Stark Enterprises security on her, which is a bunch of robots. She has to destroy all the robots. She gets up to see Tony. Tony's oblivious to the whole matter, as a lot of super rich people are. (laughs) They're oblivious to the things that happen in their corporations and the things that happen to the common man. And she basically says, here's what happened. And Tony's like, oh, yeah, okay. And they look at everything. And of course, Tony's like, oh, yeah, no, no, that's, yeah, that, that wasn't, I didn't even hear about this. Let's fix this problem right away. Coming down to the fact that Jen likes to solve things with a conversation. She didn't want it to get to this. She likes to solve things through the conversation. And that kind of renews her spirit on being a lawyer. Because when she left that firm, she was thinking about like, no, I'm not going to do it. And so she sets up shop and becomes the lawyer that handles peculiar superhero, superhuman incidents. And that's to me is the most fun. Kind of reminds me of the original issues of Alias when Jessica Jones was taken on different cases with like rick jones and stuff like that in this one it's like she is dealing with dr doom's son trying to get political asylum and you know a couple other big things like that that are just sort of like oh this is fun we get to see these characters in a different light so doom is trying to stop his son from living in america and things like that and you get moments like that and of course that leads to even bigger ones like a good like I think it's like a three-issue arc where Steve Rogers is going to be held in a civil trial uh, on a incident. A wrongful that ha- death? Wrongful death yeah. that happened before he became Captain America. And so you get these incidents that you couldn't get in any other comic. It's like taking a superhuman putting them in the real world and dealing with stuff that real people deal with. And I always love stories like that. Well, I, I especially love that we have an excuse to see Matt, another lawyer, frequently, and he keeps his pants on for the most part. I mean, his flirt game is still is always turned up to 11. He's, I'd almost say, aggressively stretching at her. <laughs> uh, it was, I was just listening to a Buffy the Vampire Slayer rewatch podcast, and they got to the episode Dirty Girls in Season 7. Listeners, just go with me on this tangent. I won't go too much further. Uh, and there's a moment where Faith is back at the house with everyone, and she goes down to the basement where Spike is chilling, smoking, shirtless, next to some manacles that are on the wall back from when he was having some trouble managing his soul issues. 
And their whole conversation is possibly the hottest thing that's ever happened in that show. And that includes, you know, when there was an interaction that literally brought a house down around a couple. And there's a couple of moments of Faith just like aggressively stretching at Spike as they're talking. And it made me sort of think of Matt just sort of doing his little circus tricks next to Jennifer as they're chit-chatting and flirting. Like he's almost showing off like i know you've got a lot going on but i could at least use my my flexibility and agility to give you you a run for your money and i will explain that reserveness whereas he is like he's yes he's totally got the flirt game he is showing it off there he can't stop but he doesn't he like there is no like hey next scene he's in bed with she hulk that doesn't happen because while he is fuckboy Matt, when he's in a relationship, he's in a relationship. And at that time, he was in a relationship with, I believe her name was another lawyer named Jen McDuffie, which uh, was introduced by Mark Wade in the his book during that time. That's why he's out in San Francisco. That's who he's out in San Francisco with. But it was fun to see the setup in the book that She-Hulk goes and visits Matt and they're having, you know, that fun time on top of the, uh, the, the San Francisco bridge, the stretching and the jumping and all that sort of stuff. And he kind of throws out there, hey, it would, it would be interesting to see us against each other in court, don't you think? You know, it's kind of like the classic superhero who would win in a fight. But make it lawyers. Yeah, yeah. but make it lawyers, exactly. <laughs> in something that could happen easily without having to come up with some outlandish setup. It's like, no, they're both they're, they're on either sides of a claim. That's about it. That's all you need. And, and we know who Cap ultimately put his money on. And it's interesting that he did that. And I think it's because, you know, he knows Matt Murdock. And we'll get into that in a minute. But I will say that it's like Matt kind of drops that out. And so like, hey, wouldn't that be fun sort of thing? And it isn't until several issues later that we get the payoff for that where She-Hulk is representing a now aged up Steve Rogers who's now looking the proper age they should be in his 90s for a wrongful death claim filed in California with Matt Murdock representing the plaintiffs. And Sidebar, he's old, but he's still giving like very hot daddy. All of the uh, young folks in the office are just throwing down towels practically to have to sit in a chair in the conference room with him. They yeah. can't focus. He's They're Captain America. Themselves. Yeah. Yeah. He's He's old, but he's still giving it. And I like that they even, like, they compare him to Robert Redford. And even when they used him in Winter Soldier, yeah. we were all thinking, like, uh, but if he got old, like, that is what Cap would look like. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. yeah. If, he, if they had a made a yeah. Captain America, big budget Captain America movie in the 70s, they would have tried to gotten Redford mm-hmm. to play the part. Totally. Although he's a little short. It's funny that you bring that up, that they do compare him to Redford in the book, because it is exactly the timeline of when Winter Soldier came out. So Redford was... In in the news with the Captain the America family. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the reason why Cap chose She-Hulk to be his lawyer is two reasons. Well, number one, of course, the whole case starts because Matt is contacted by these California plaintiffs. So Matt is already kind of representing the plaintiff's position when Steve tells him, yeah, you have to do it and you have to try to win. But on the other side, he doesn't, like, he knows Daredevil, he knows Matt Murdock, but really how well does anybody know Matt Murdock? You know what I mean? He's a loner. That's part of the whole mystique that gets him to pick up all the ladies and stuff like that is that he's got this mystery to him. Whereas Jen has served as like a right hand to Captain America for years on the Avengers. Like if you look at the 80s run, Cap and She-Hulk are on that team for a long time. So it's almost like he trusts her. He trusts her probably more than any other lawyer because that's the one he knows best. So of course he'd choose Jen because she'd be fighting 
to save her friend, which Cap always believes in the heart that you try the heart, you you want to save everybody, but you try the hardest for the people that you truly care about. And Jen did, of course. Yeah, that whole dynamic of the three of them in court and then after when she's they're sort of having the debrief of, okay, so you like went to homeboy and like begged him to take this case, even though it would be on the side of the plaintiffs. But like, why did you pick me? And you can feel like it's still images in a comic, but you could almost feel like Matt and Jen look at each other before it happens of like, ah, so at least we know like that's one for me. And like, <laughs> I, if all we had was like run after run of different series and arcs where there's throwing a couple of issues where there's some chance for like Matt and Jen to meet up in court and have like a Legolas and Gimli slash like count of like that was that one's for me like I would read that all day no totally with Matt Murdock and She-Hulk there's definitely the grounds of a cool law book that would feel like an Ally McBeal type show definitely yeah. In this book, I would say initially my one quibble with it was the wordiness, but it's not that I didn't like the writing. It, it's more my old lady eyes. You know, I love yeah. I love a taciturn, um, show, not tell approach. I used to read books, listener. I, I was an English major. Now the idea of reading like a print book honestly gives me the Wiggins. I can't even like I, I was just thinking <laughs> the other night, if I'm not going to do the film festival this year, maybe I should like start reading like physical books again. It's almost like I'm I'm Benjamin Buttoning where it's like, you know, you learn how to read from like books with pictures and then words in pictures, and then just words, and then I sort of went harder to movies, and now I'm, like, reversing back. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, hmm, a book. That's a thing. Like, it is definitely anyway, yes. tangent again. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a wordy book. I would say, like, the, there's a lot of text in the panels, but it's because it's primarily legal dramedy. That's, this yeah. is a legal dramedy in the vein of your Alan McBeals, your Boston Publix, your whatever, like it is giving you that snappy fun. And then occasionally you have a moment of peril or doom bot, but almost all of the moments of violence are part of like investigating anything related to the case that she's working. But that's not what Jen wants to do, which is great because as she builds a team, she builds a team that helps her round out her skill set. Yes. And that team is a combination of some pre-existing characters and some new characters. One of the main characters we're introduced to in the second issue is Angie Huang, who is I a thought we were going to start with the monkey, but sure. Yeah, her Angie too. We, we got to introduce <laughs> Angie to introduce the monkey. Yeah, You're jumping ahead you. here. Come on now. Angie Here's Huang, me. she is a paralegal. And uh, she is hired originally when there are a lot of candidates, but then suddenly after Jen goes and gets a coffee, there's only one candidate. It's her. And she brings her pet monkey, Hey Hey, to the office. Turns out later there's much more to that monkey than we know originally. And uh, that monkey ends up uh, being quite an asset later on. But it's also in a definitely not show type way. It's the reason why Angie got the job because it's obvious that Hey Hey scared off all the other potential paralegals in the off panel. Yeah. Which I, yeah. Which I like the fact that that wasn't, that was held. Like Soul didn't give that away in the first half. He could have easily done a one panel thing of showing that like that's that and then had us sitting there wondering what that, that monkey can turn into a giant mutant monkey. Instead, he held it to the end and it's like, oh, this is, okay. 
okay. Wasn't expecting that. All right. Yeah, I mean, I expected the monkey to have some skills, but I expected to be more uh, along the vein of, you know, the bow truckle in Fantastic Beasts or like Aladdin's monkey, like helpful, but like primarily the size dimension, maybe more intelligent than we knew, possibly even a person trapped in a monkey, but like just monkey. But I love that to your point, we get that surprise later. There's like a couple surprises that he tries to hold that I feel like it's more obvious, like the Matt is on the case, like when she calls mm. him to ask for advice and he's like, I got to go. I feel like Jen is smart enough to re- immediately realize, oh, it's a conflict of interest. He's the opposing counsel. I think that they that surprise was held for us, the reader, even though I knew the minute he hung up right away. And I think Jen is smart enough to know that. So that was a, the one of the few writing choices. I well, was like, just just let her hang up the phone and go like, oh, oh, bugger. But just to and throw, like, out, right away. throw out, throw a devil's advocate here. Jen. Daredevil's advocate. Daredevil's advocate. It was right go. there, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Daredevil's advocate. Matt Murdock is primarily a defense lawyer. He's not usually handling civil cases. And since she was calling, saying she was representing the defense, she didn't think Matt would be representing a plaintiff. And it's the situation that Steve told him to take the case is that why is a plaintiff? So just having, you know, your regular thought process of like who Matt is, Jen might have automatically subconsciously ruled out him being the representative of the plaintiff. Yeah, that's true. But totally, I get it. Jen should have figured it out earlier. I get that. Yeah. But I, again, I'm just trying to throw out, as you said, at the Daredevil's Advocate. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you're legit wearing a Daredevil shirt right now. You're always going to be a... ride or die. That's your boy. <laughs> it's my boy. Now, when it comes to books in the Marvel Universe that deal with the law, which usually are just She-Hulk and Daredevil, but a lot of times in Daredevil, it's featured a lot of private detectives. Of course, Jessica Jones in recent years. Also, on Ed Brubaker's run, he brought back the not that well-known 80s comic book character, Dakota North, who's also a private detective. And so you have these private detective characters. It's kind of become like a thing that if you're going to do a Marvel law story, it's good to have a private detective around. And she all kind of just falls into having one with her friend, of course, uh, Hellcat. Hellcat comes and is the private detective in this book. And she's going through it. She's definitely got some skeletons in her closet that she's trying to get over because she's a wild card in this book. Idle hands, man. You know, when your girls like to get into trouble, I would say I approve of Jen's choice to take any moment to mull over the challenges of the day with some hard liquor, except for when you're doing that with Hellcat, because you get a couple of pints in that girl and she's ready to do some breaking and entering and fighting aim and whatever else like ah, i heard a good tip let's suit up you have been drinking with a literal hulk all night girl sit down have some tea go eat some street meat from a cart like halal guys figure it out this is not the move but she could not be reasoned with so like so many of us know like once your friend there's always that friend once they get enough in them that you're just along for the ride yeah it was so relatable hellcat's one of the weirdest characters ever because of her history in the marvel universe because her original time in the marvel universe it actually like she actually had time in comics before she she wasn't introduced in the Marvel Universe. She was brought into the Marvel Universe. She was originally Marvel's answer to Archie. She was Patsy 
And Patsy was basically like the female Archie. She was a redhead. She had two guys that, you know, were trying to get her affections, a brunette and a blonde. And she was just living life fun at the malt shop and whatnot. But that eventually that book got canceled. So what they did to bring her into the Marvel Universe is that they made it that Patsy was a TV show. And she was the actor playing Patsy. She was Patsy. When that all dried up, she wanted to be a superhero. She wanted to get into superheroics and did the best she could to get into that. She ended up befriending the Beast, ended up becoming an Avenger. All that sort of thing. But to think that it's like, it's like if Archie suddenly became like palling around with Batman, you know? Like that's that's kind, of, kind of what it's like. Yeah. And, yeah. and all of her old friends, well, not all of them, but many of them also have their own stuff going on. There's there's a mention of M Day in the book as well. So someone like Patsy Hellcat, who maybe in the past could be, you know, an extra pair of hands, but she's not gonna be maybe leading as many of the big missions. There's probably not as much action in that area for her right now as well. While everybody's sort of dealing with the collapse of um, certain structures, a whole bunch of people not having powers anymore, et cetera, et cetera. So she's got to find something to do and uh, getting drunk and trying to go out and solve problems on her own is not the move. Uh, and Jen identifies this and is like, let's take this energy, sober it up and give you a day job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so she becomes a regular fixture in the book as well. Now, one thing that is kind of like a plot thread throughout the book is the ominous blue file. And I got to say, there's a lot of times where you where a 12 issue series is pitched to Marvel and a writer comes in and goes, this is my main idea. This is my end game for it. And then I'm going to tell stories throughout that lead to that. And most times when you read stories like this that are plotted out that way, the big payoff at the end is like, wow, okay, that was really cool. In this, the little stories about the law, way more interesting than the final big payoff, in my opinion. Absolutely. But I also like that they they know who they're dealing with. <laughs> they know Marvel <laughs> at this point. So they did write this so carefully that the sort of mini arcs in between, if it had been canceled early, I would have been okay with it. Like, yeah. Because you didn't really get deep into the blue file till they were like, okay, so we're for sure getting all 12. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, yeah, the blue file is mentioned in the first issue and then in the fourth issue. Issues five and six kind of deal with it the entire time, but they're probably the weakest issues in the book. So I didn't even bother rereading them for this. And they kind of can be completely jumped over and you still understand what's going on in the story. And then, uh, then it's, yeah, in the final issues after the big cap story, that the events unravel. And while I still thought it was good, I didn't think it was good as all the stuff that came before it. So the thing about issues five and six, it had that very different art style that I feel like, listener, if you have the right amount of gummies, if you're somewhere that's legal, it's kind of fun to have this very hard visual shift and yeah also, see, i was uh, i was very sober uh when i read it and i did not like the visual shift that is why i did not mention that artist's name i just mentioned the art javier polito who did all the other issues yeah the uh, it's it's definitely not pretty and it's not not pretty in a way that like i feel like it works best with the things that are either more adorable or 
full-on grotesque. So there, there is some cute, like, Aaron Brockovich stuff with Angie and Hey Hey when they're off, like, doing their own little investigation. Mm. So them in this art style, I think you get to see a bit more expression on her than you see in the, the default Polito look. That is, like, I, I wouldn't have wanted a whole 12 like this, but I was not mad at it. Okay. And okay. I, But I was glad there was only a couple. I was like, is it going to be like this? Or, like... <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing but and then also some of the weird things they did that i did like is like you're if you look at it from a kind of filmic pov the from the bottom of like tiger like the you're seeing from literally the bottom of her foot and now that i'm looking i'm wondering if this person has like a weird foot thing but yeah just to show you know the dimensions of her body and the difference between her and hellcat and their fighting styles like some of it works really well some of it is jarring because there also are other parts of the Plato stuff that just look so gorgeous like a close-up yeah. on jen's eyes that are just like oh this is pretty like this is a very pretty version Jen like if you have concerns or thoughts or you haven't read a lot and and yes her body does different things depending on who's drawing her um we still definitely have more of a silhouette that would be defined uh, I believe the kids use the term snatched like she's not like Bruce like but right. but there yeah. are scenes where she hulks out even more and does become bigger that's the other thing I liked is that they kind of showed the range of Jen's hulking because there's points where she's just regular Jen there's points where she gets a little bit more athletic and a bit like is a bit taller and then there's the complete hulking out where the shirts rip and everything and then there's Jen out of Hulk form so you have like four different versions of Jen's body type in this book and hey listeners who menstruate is that not every month <laughs> i mean at one point i legit had like back when i wore hard pants in the before time i would have like a pair of jeans per week of the month depending on what my body was doing so you know yeah now that i'm winnie pooing it most days that's not an issue but yeah it's uh not all pants are for every week fair enough Fair yeah. Enough. Oh my God. Javier Polito's artwork is just a delight because it has that bit of cartooniness to it, but it also has such a really good like expressive. Like she, he does. They do expressive uh, both in movement and in facial expression. And also, you can every character doesn't look the same. Like so, we talked about before, some artists. Like again, we brought up Archie earlier. If you look at the Archie book, they you know the Archie artists are taught to have here's the boy's body and here's the girl's body just change the hair colors that's about it and then in some superhero comics you'll look and the artist has drawn everybody's face the same you know or you'll look and it's like all the heroes are basically the same height and things like that this book shows the diversity in the characters and it is just it is so much fun because it's like you see it against this backdrop of the superhero office building and the various places like you get to see the courts in San Francisco you get to see Latveria Dr. Doom's castle you get to see uh, Tony Stark's latest enterprises Tony Stark's uh, office buildings and stuff like that you get a lot of really cool locales with these really cool characters uh, populated throughout it is just it's a visual delight also we just need to take like a hot second for Kevin Wada's covers these oh, yeah. are some of the most gorgeous covers and I also like they're not super visually consistent but the story and the mini arc also aren't super consistent like Jen is forefront or and the lawyer aspect is sort of the one consistent element 
But even like her exact look and feel, like her body, like what it's doing, to your point, there's differences. So mm. they don't look super the same, but they're really pretty. The Yeah, the issue Kevin eight, the covers. Yeah, it's hard for me to pick my favorite. I feel like it's a tie between eight and then the one where she's holding out like I think like a summons or something, and then the the issue twelve. Like, but they're all so pretty. So pretty. Yeah. And I feel like the advertising and marketing for She Hulk Attorney at Law has a similar vibe to those covers like if you look at the posters uh that disney's put out kind of has a similar vibe to it which is why i feel like while it might not it might not be in any way the uh creative basis for the story i think through the marketing at least that somebody flipped through these issues from 2014 and said oh yeah we definitely want to have this for our aesthetic for for uh, marketing yeah yeah the the more of the kind of lawyer side of her the the pencil suit briefcase like the hair even and just her size in relation to the other elements on the cover i think is very much yeah you know uh, it would be cool it's not gonna happen like we're this right now by the time you hear this a couple of episodes of she hulk will have already come out because it's like they've already advertised that Matt Murdock is in the show. That Daredevil makes an appearance in the show. So if Daredevil's making an appearance in the show, there's most likely going to be scenes with Matt Murdock in a courtroom. That's probably going to happen. Wouldn't it be awesome if they had Chris Evans for at least one episode as 90-plus Steve Rogers? That would be really cool, I would think. I mean, we know one of the promos is teased that it's like a little bit cameo heavy, the show. Yeah. I mean, even if we don't get him, get him, even if we just get sort of like a like an old man sort of coming in near the end and like we don't even see full body, maybe we can just get a bit of voice. Like even that I would be okay with. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, looking for some legal help and, and you hear like the, the same voice he gave Sam on the bench like, no, I'm not going to tell you what went down. Like, <laughs> Besides me. happy. Just going to tell you that my jaw is hurting. That's all, That's all I'm going to say. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't mind that. I, I do think it does open the door also for us to see her on his show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So yeah, so... If you're if you're sitting there going, man, you know, I I I'm I'm enjoying She-Hulk with this whole you know mixing the law with superhero stuff, and I want more of it, and I want to read a comic that feels like that. I think this is definitely the comic you should read. She-Hulk from 2014, written by Charles Soule with art by Javier Polito. And Kevin Watercolor covers are yes. just yeah delicious, so good. It's a good time, like it's fun. If you like you if you. <laughs> You liked Ally McBeal. You may also like <laughs> you go, this yeah. run on She-Hulk. Definitely. Yeah. So check it out. It's available on Marvel Unlimited. And uh, yeah, you might be able to track down the trades. Who knows? Maybe off of the success of this show, these books will get reprinted in trade. Who knows? Maybe. Well, Batula, we've come to the end of another episode. Where can the good people find you? At InTheShift.com, on Twitter at ObesaCantavit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T, and here with you. Of course, you can find everything I do over at GeekHardShow.com. Follow me on Twitter at GeekHard. Follow this very show on Facebook at BackIssueBloodbath where we post the new episode every week. Of course, the easiest way to make sure you don't miss an episode is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. And while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review because we like you, you like us. Just, it'd be nice if you let people know. That's all. We don't want to be your your, your dirty secret. We want we want to be the, the friend that you're like, hey, come check this person out. They're cool. Just let I'm people okay. know. I'm okay to be your side piece, but you should still tell other people about us. There you go. Yes, just yeah. be open with your side piece. There yeah. you go. 
Oh, well, this has been Back to Your Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Batul Neal. Have yourself a good...